you believe this morning? Do you believe? Hallelujah. Welcome this morning to Maple Street Worship Center. Welcome to our annual uh, interdenominational uh, Good Friday service. So glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, it's going to be a delight to have Pastor Brandon sharing the word today and Pastor Darrell lead us in communion. But, uh, but while we're uh, welcoming each if we could take a few moments, if we could just welcome each other this morning, if we could just get around and shake some hands and, and greet one another. Amen. come together, irrespective of our, of our tribes, you might say, our family, little family differences. How many know that the differences are very small, really? But it's great to be able to come together, come together, and uh, recognize that we all drink from the same Spirit, amen? We all share the same Savior, the same Lord. So it's wonderful to be able to come together as a family of God in unity to be able to worship and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. How many are glad we can do that this morning? And the freedom and the liberty that the Lord is, has granted us. Let's pray together as we continue to worship the Lord this morning. Father, we, we count it a privilege to be able to gather this way. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the household of faith, the temple of living stones that you have constituted. And so, Lord, today that as we praise you, as we celebrate, as we worship and exalt Jesus in this place today, that, Father, that you will be pleased by the worship and the praise that we bring. And Lord, may we come together being reminded of the great sacrifice that you have made and what it means for us, and not only us that are here, but also for those who may not even yet know Jesus. And so, Lord, help us as the church to be faithful to the calling that we have, to be able to extend that forgiveness and grace that you have bestowed upon us to those who do not yet know Christ. And Lord, we just pray that that you'll be magnified in everything that is done and said here today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's worship together. You can stand with us this morning. When I survey the On all my 
wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. And bless your name. From his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did there such love and sorrow? Come and I and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful crossing. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here, by grace draw near and bless your name. And bless your name.
All who gather here, by grace draw near and bless your name and bless your name.
before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You've been so, so kind to me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the night denied. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away your foe still you love fought for me you've been so so good to me when I felt no worth you paid it all for me so so kind to me oh the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God oh it chases me down fights till I'm found leaves the 99 I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me 
Spirit, we just invite you, Lord, to come in. Come into the midst, Lord. Come in to and, and, and illuminate our hearts and our minds, Lord, today. And uh, we just pray. We just pray and we just lift up Pastor Brandon as, as he has prepared his heart today to deliver your word. And Lord, may we, may we come with attentive ears, not only physically, but with spiritual ears, Lord, to hear what your spirit would 
want to say to us today. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'll just have the Spirit resting upon him. Empower him, Lord, today as he breaks open the bread of life before us. So, Lord, bless him as he comes. Bless him as he comes. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. Amen, I just, I just love that. No wall you won't kick down. I, uh, it's either Chuck Norris, depending on your age, that you think about, or Liam Neeson, right? And that's, uh, that's what I picture, is that like nothing will stop him from reaching out to us. Nothing will stop him from his love coming out to us. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, preach this Good Friday. I absolutely love Good Friday service. Because if you look around at each other this morning, you'll see some faces you don't see very often that maybe you see at work, maybe you see at the grocery store, but you don't see them every Sunday, right? How cool is it that some churches can come together to realize, to recognize that we are the church? So I will call you church this morning. I will call you church this morning because his spirit unifies us. And I hope that boom stays all morning long, right? He unifies us and he is unified, amen? The church doesn't always look like it, but it is. He is unified. He is unified. Well, I'm the uh, associate pastor at Vegreville Alliance Church, and uh, I'm excited to be here this morning to, to bring the word here. To talk about what this Good Friday really is of Jesus becoming king. But first, of course, what good preachers do, they talk about themselves for a while. So let me tell you about myself uh, is this. In high school, I, I followed Jesus and I had this group that I was a part of called uh, International Christian Fellowship, whatever, Scholastic Christian Fellowship. And uh, we gathered together once or twice a week in our school, and we would uh, pray together, we'd sing together, we'd hear the word, I don't know, we'd do many things. We even, like, went out and evangelized our school a few times. It was pretty cool. Uh, except, you know, when I, I grew up in New Brunswick, all right, a lot of people respect the Bible in New Brunswick. Even if they're not going to church, even if they're not following Jesus, they, they respect the Bible. And so I was surprised this one day when uh, this guy who I thought grew up in a Christian home, and maybe that was just it, it was a Christian home and nothing else. Maybe some of us know about that. And, and in the lockers, the one day, he, he looks at me and says, oh, I haven't even heard that. Like, I, I heard it like when I was maybe five and, and you, know, you talk about persecution or something, but, but uh, this guy called me a Bible beater and to the point where he was actually mocking me and yelling out Bible beater by any time he saw me. I thought it was hilarious that this guy would do that, like calling out like that. And I was like, okay, this is my moment of persecution. Right? This is my moment of persecution. This is it. This is all all I got. I have nothing else. Especially when we come to Good Friday and we look at the mistreatment and persecution of Jesus, really, I, I, I have nothing, right? I have nothing. So this is where we're going this morning. We're talking about the mistreatment of Jesus as we walk towards the cross here today. So I hope you brought your, brought your Bible with you or it's on your phone. We're going to be in Luke 22 and 23. So you can pull that up. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that your spirit would just take over here this morning. That you do your work. That your word 
which shine so bright and glorify Jesus. So Spirit, do your work. Glorify him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a few ways that Jesus was mistreated in Scripture here. I just want to pull out four different ways. I'm sure you could think of many, many other ones. But yeah, today we call it the glory of Jesus and his forgiveness. We'll get there. The first way that Jesus was mistreated uh, was he was arrested unjustly. And many of us were here this morning and we know this story of, of Jesus going to the garden after the Last Supper, after last night, right? And he goes to the garden to pray. And as he goes to the garden to pray, he's sweating like drops of blood at the intensity of his prayers. That he, He's asking the Father, would you let this cup pass from me? But not my will, but yours be done. And then the time has come. The time has come for the betrayer to come, Judas to come, kiss Jesus on the cheek, and for the arrest to happen. So they come to him at nighttime, to arrest Jesus in chapter 22. And there's this altercation that breaks out. Never before, I don't think anyway, that that Jesus' disciples carried swords until now. And in verse 50 it says, And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his right ear, but Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay a hand hand on me, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. Isn't this incredible? So they come out at nighttime to arrest Jesus because they have really no grounds to arrest him. Besides, he stirred up the mobs a little bit. His accusations a little ways later, if you look at it in chapter 23, the first five verses, you see the accusations that, that they bring against Jesus, and they're, they're pretty weak. Verse 1, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give truth, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So the first thing is this, this. He's saying that we can't pay taxes to Caesar. But we know that's untrue, right? We know that a little ways before, when when he was being accused of this earlier, um, that Jesus, have you paid your taxes? And should we pay taxes? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Now give to God what is God's. And there's this cool thing where the fish has a coin in its mouth and then they can go pay their taxes. Right? So we know that's untrue. And the next lie is not really a lie. It's actually the truth. They're accusing of, being, of him being the Christ, the king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He said, you've said so. You've said so. Because it's actually truth. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the king. So, all their accusations are false and they're arresting him on, anyway. He was arrested unjustly. The second way is he was mocked and beaten. Mocked and beaten. Uh, Verse 63 in chapter 22. says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. 
Every time I get to this point, when he's blindfolded, being hit, being hit and, and, and mocked and beaten, and they say, prophesy. You know what I imagine? I can hear Jesus' heart saying, you know, it was you, Cornelius. It was you, Matthias. It was you, John. It was you. I can hear him. I can hear him naming them in his heart. I don't know if that's true or not, but we know, we know who Jesus is, right? He was mocked and beaten by these soldiers. They saw Jesus as a joke. Daryl Bach says this, the soldiers somehow, somehow, show somehow in the world do not take Jesus seriously. For them, religion is a game, and this leader is a joke to be played. Their mockery and belittling of Jesus reveal a spirit that is not unusual in our world. He was mocked and beaten. A third way is this. Jewish unbelief. His own people didn't believe him. His own people didn't believe him. If you look at verse 66. When day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. These are the Israelites. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. If you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah that was to come and save us, just tell us. Here's Jesus' response. He said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Even if I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. I love those responses. Isn't that great? You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from our own lips. Yes, you have. You have heard it. And then we read already this part. They brought him before Pilate. They accused him of those accusations. And Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. The unbelief stank at the Jewish people. It was awful. They actually see Jesus, as Bach says, as a nuisance and not a king or a savior. He was stirring up the people. Right? The the Israelites were already under oppression, under Roman rule, right? They didn't want anybody else stirring up so that they would be restrained even more. They were living in fear. So they couldn't see past that fear. Unbelief sinks in in that moment. Do you notice this? They ask the right questions. They say the right things. Do you say that you are the Christ? Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And his response is, well, you say that I am. You've said it. They say the right things. They're getting the message in their head. But it hasn't sunk to their heart. They've missed it. They've missed it. Jewish unbelief. Going a little further on both here, um, in verses 6 to 11, Pilate heard this. He asked whether the man was a Galilean. 
When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. All right, he was a puppet king over Israel. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. He wanted to see some miracles, right? Show me what you got, Jesus. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became good buddies because of this. They dressed him up as a king to mock him. Right? We know that they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They put royal garb on him to crown him as king. How ironically. They knew it in their head and they were mocking him for it. They were crowning him as king that day. This was his actual ascension to the throne. And this is how he was treated in it. The fourth way that Jesus was mistreated is this. He invited, the Israelites invited evil rather than Jesus. So he was arrested unjustly. He was mocked and beaten. He had this unbelief that surrounded him. And this last one, I think, is this. They invited evil instead of Jesus. When they brought him before Pilate, and Pilate, it was the time of year when he released a guy out uh, from prison. and said, who do you want released? Do you want Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus? Do you want this Barabbas guy, or do you want Jesus? And here's what it says in verse 25, in chapter 23. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. Why? Because they asked for it. And he delivered Jesus over to their will. They actually asked for a murderer to be released back onto their streets. Isn't that incredible? The unbelief, the the ignorance was so great. They invited evil instead of inviting Jesus, the giver of life. My question this morning is this. In what ways are we, the soldiers, chief priests, the Israelites, So out of entertainment mode for a second and think about this. In what ways do we mistreat Jesus? Notice this. I didn't ask you, do you mistreat Jesus? That's just bad questioning because then you can only answer yes or no, right? But it's this. In what ways do we mistreat Jesus? Maybe as a country, as a church, as an individual. What ways do I personally mistreat Jesus? We need to allow the Lord to answer that question this morning. So that's the, that's the posture we have, is asking the Lord this question. Lord, in what ways am I mistreating you? In what ways am I like the soldiers and chief priests? Let's go back over these four ways that Jesus was treated in Scripture and and just point out a few things. This is not an exhaustive list. It's going to sound really depressing for a while. I'm just going to warn you of this, okay? But it is Good Friday after all. 
we approach him unjustly. We accuse Jesus of things, we accuse God of things that he actually doesn't do, right? Situations come up in our life, storms come up in our life, bad things happen, right? Some stuff hits the fan and things happen and we turn to God and what do we say? God, how could you do this to me? Why would you do this in my life? How could you take that person from me? Right, and it's not bad to ask these questions in great emotion. God loves our emotion. He created it, right? But it's what we do with that question. How, how do we overcome that question? What do we do with it? Are we just taking it and we're becoming bitter towards God in the midst of it? Or are we actually trusting him to answer? For him to say, I was right there. Saying, I'm right beside you. Do we let him answer that question? That's really the question here. Or do we treat him unjustly and just accuse him and accuse him of false claims? If you look at Matthew 25, 34 to 46, you see this uh, uh, conversation Jesus has uh, talking about separating the sheep and the goats, right? The, the sheep, the righteous, the goats, the unrighteous. Okay, those who will sit at the right, the righteous side, the left, uh, the, the, the not-so-good side, with his weeping and gnashing of teeth, right, punishment. So he tells the righteous, he said, he said that they were righteous because they saw him and they treated him really, really well. And the righteous come to him and said, but we didn't even see you. How did we know? Where were you? He said, when you treated the least of these, my brothers, my sisters, you've done to me. Okay? So he turns to the unrighteous, and the exact opposite happens, right? He says, uh, you're unrighteous because you didn't treat me very well when you were, you were on this earth. He says, wait, wait a minute, we didn't even see you. We didn't even know you were there. And he says this, What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. We treat Jesus unjustly, unjustly, and we treat those around us unjustly. And we mistreat those around us. Especially the weak and the vulnerable. Right? Those who are on the outside. This is the only thing that the scripture actually says is true religion, is to treat those who are on the outside and those who are weak to actually lift them up, to actually care for them. Are we mistreating Jesus today by treating him unjustly in this way? The least of these. How are we treating him? Are we mocking him? The second way. Do we mock him with our choices and our speech? And I think this is this. Are we making him less than he is? Namely, king. This is what Good Friday is about, right? He's being crowned as king today. Do we treat him less than he is with our lives, with our choices, with our speech? And I think there's a couple ways, and you can, you can come up with others, I'm sure. But the first one is this. The way, way we mock him is by treating him as, as a genie. Have you done this before? Where you want to rub the lamp. God, I, I need this. God, God, I need this. Grant me, grant me this wish. We don't say that. Some of us actually do. I've heard, I heard someone pray as a kid, so you give them the benefit of the doubt. But you rub, you rub the lamp and you say, give me this, Lord. Just give me this. Just give me this. And I wish for this, and I wish for this. And we treat him as a genie instead of the king that he is. 
and a king who, who absolutely loves us and wants to give good gifts to his children. Don't get me wrong, but he's king. He actually is the one who gives the orders, right? Another way I think we mock him is this. We treat him as a distant father. And I think this comes in uh, because we believe in lies, but a distant father as in he loves us, but from, from somewhere out there. When we pray to this Father in heaven who's never actually come down to earth. Right? We treat him as this Father who's so far distant so that he doesn't actually affect my life very much. I just got to get to church, right? Be faithful that way. So that if the Father ever does come back, he sees where I'm at, right? We mock him in these ways. I mock him in these ways. I think we mock him in how we treat our own sin. How we don't treat our sins seriously. And namely this, that, that it brings death. Do you know that's what sin is? Sin, sin ultimately brings death. Spiritual death, even physical death. There wasn't death until sin entered the scene. Did you know that? We don't treat it seriously. And it blinds us. Bach, Daryl Bach says that sin blinds people from properly perceiving what is significant. It creates these scales over our eyes that we actually can't see the life that Jesus has to offer. We can't see the goodness that he wants to give to us. We can't see how good it is that, that if he's king over our lives. No. We just see sin. We see the world a little differently, tinted, not as it is. We like to play God too, don't we? take control, try to fix other people, maybe. If you're a tinkerer, that's what you like to do. You try to fix other people. If I could just change this about you. Namely, your, your husbands, right? Or is that? Yeah. No, it's the wives, right? We, we just want to fix each other all the time. We like to play God. We even manipulate people by, by this thing called religion that we've constructed. Not true religion that I talked about, but this other thing. That I don't know where it even came from. We manipulate by this. Say, well, you have, to, you have to dress like this. You have to be like this. This is what it looks like to be a Christian over here, and then the Bible's over here, right? We've taken some things out, but like the enemy, we lie and we twist it and we give it back to people, don't we? We've got to be careful of this as Christians. This all treats Jesus as a joke, just like the soldiers. As they mocked and beat him, they didn't believe in him. Having the head knowledge, so much head knowledge, but he's a joke. Unbelief, the third one, right? The Jewish unbelief. When Jesus said this to them, he said, even if I tell you, you won't believe. And in the end, he means this. All you need to do is believe. But even if I told you, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe. This is just being hard-hearted, right? The Jewish people have become hard-hearted. Not believing in his word, and this is us too, and his promises. It comes, out, it comes out in how we read scripture and how we pray. If there comes a time in your spiritual journey when you're reading scripture and you're just like, man, this is, I don't get, this is done, I'm done with this. When before it gave you life, maybe some hard-heartedness is settling in. 
unbelief begins to set in. As you pray, you, f- you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling, right? You feel like your prayers are going nowhere, that they're not even going a breath further than, than just your mouth. Maybe, maybe unbelief is beginning to settle in in your heart. We live in this moment, we live in a stagnant spiritual life. It stinks. I don't always think these are necessarily our fault, though it is all our fault, but I think we believe lies, right? I talked about storms that came up, right? When storms come up in our life, things happen. In the midst of it, I think sometimes we come to God and we say, God, God, where, where were you here? Right? And that settles into our heart instead of God listening and him saying, I'm right here, right? Instead, we let that lie sink in and the enemy whispers in our ear. And what does he say? God isn't always with you. You know, God wasn't there in that moment. And we believe it. We believe that, which causes unbelief towards God. That as we read the promises in the scripture that he says this, that I will never leave you, never forsake you, it no longer means anything. Because we let those lies sink in. Some of us this morning need Jesus to break some lies away. We need those lies broken from our lives. Uh, the fourth way is this. We invite evil instead of Jesus into our lives. We do this. We do it through compromise of sin. When we say, just a little, just this one time, and then it's just another time, and it's just another time, and then it's your life. It's the lens in which you live life. Just a little. We go at the heat of the moment without time to ask him and invite him into our situation. Whether it is maybe buying a house, having children, going to school, um, I don't know what your decisions could be. But when we don't invite Jesus, we're actually inviting anybody but Jesus. Right? We have so many voices speaking into our lives, trying to tell us how we live our life. I wonder for how many of us we're inviting Jesus to give his opinion. Jesus, what, what should I do here? I invite you in. This almost needs to be like a daily task. Some will tell you it needs to be every minute, right? Like, God, lead me here. Guide me here. Where I invite you in. Lead me in this day. Give me your eyes that I can see. Because what happens on the other side is we just invite evil. We allow a foothold for the enemy when we don't invite him in. What is God saying to you? Coming back to that question, how are, how are we mistreating Jesus? Country, church, individual? Can we take a moment? God, we just ask you even now, would you just show us really quickly, how am I mistreating you? Can you just ask him that this morning? Maybe something's coming to your heart and mind right away, and just hold it. If nothing's coming to your mind, it's okay. But if it's there, just hold it. It's okay to feel the weight of it.
and maybe even to feel the pain of it. Because we're going somewhere. Good Friday goes somewhere. Jesus, would you show us how we've mistreated you, how we've invited evil, how we've been so hard-hearted in unbelief. Lord, how, how we've mocked you with our lies, how we've treated you unjustly. Would you show us? And as you begin to feel that, you thought of something. Know this. In the midst of this, Jesus offers forgiveness. This is what he offers. Though we've mistreated him, and it says in that song, I don't deserve it, right? He offers forgiveness in the midst of persecution. He offers you forgiveness in the midst of your mistreatment of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Let me get into this. He stopped the rebellion in the garden to say that the kingdom will not come in violence. He endured and accepted with his silence, or those minimal responses, his own suffering. Jesus knew he must suffer. Did you know this? He knew he had to do it. He had to suffer. He was the suffering servant that the Old Testament talked about. But even so, in the midst of it all, he offers forgiveness. Did you know that, church? He offers forgiveness. In Luke 23, 32. He's on the cross at this point. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, we call it Calvary, it's a nicer name, right? Pretty, we can sing it. We won't sing the skull in a song, will we? But it's called the skull. It actually was like a raised up look like a skull, and that's where he was crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals. If you, if you missed it already, he's with criminals. He's dying as a criminal today. One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Israel inviting evil instead of him, and in the midst of the mockery and the beatings, in the, in the midst of being arrested unjustly and treated unjustly, in the midst of all of this this morning, he's on the cross and he says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. This is incredible, church. This is actually really good news. This is actually the gospel speaking this morning. When on the cross, he looks out at all our mistreatment, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Man, this cross moment, this is it right here. This is the cross moment. This is Jesus looking out from the cross at the people. Can you see them? Can you see the soldiers? Can you see the Israelites mocking him? Can you see the bystanders, the women, the people around? And he's looking out. I'm not sure if you can sense what he was feeling because I would sense hatred. If I was Jesus on the cross, I would sense hatred. But not Jesus. No, he says what? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. I think he transcends time and space in this moment. I love this, this artwork here. Because it looked out at everyone, you know, that would, might have been there. 
But if you could just look beyond the photo, look look beyond the painting here this morning, and look straight through time and space and come here to this moment in Vegreville in 2018, he's doing the same exact thing where he's on the cross in that moment looking to us and saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. His forgiveness just rests here for us, for the taking. He's offered it already. He's offered it already. The question is, do we take it up? Do we take it up? Because this is us, church. This is the forgiveness the cross brings. His blood was offered as a sacrifice for our sins, our offense, our mockery, our unbelief, our welcoming of evil. And yet he looks at us and says, Father, forgive them. Like I said, the soldiers had the right head knowledge. More so, the the Jewish people had the right head knowledge, didn't they? They knew the prophecies, but they couldn't put them together. They even proclaimed it over and over again. If you are the Christ. The story goes on. They cast lots to divide his garments and then scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. They had the right head knowledge. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, the cheapest wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So if you're Messiah, save yourself. If you're king, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, mocking him, saying, this is the king of the Jews. But little did they know, it wasn't even a mockery. It was the truth. It's so ironic. It's not head knowledge that's needed here. It's knowing God. Can you catch that this morning? It's not head knowledge that's needed here today, but it's knowing God. Knowing Him, when you know Him, you know He offers forgiveness. For any mistreatment you could ever have done to Jesus, He offers forgiveness. This is the glory of Jesus. This is his glory. There's one last image that happens here that is a perfect depiction of what's going on. It sums it all up so nicely. I could have just read the passage today and not preached. You would have got it. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. So can you picture this? Jesus is on the cross, one on his right and one on his left are these two criminals. And the one is railing at him. He represents absolutely almost, like pretty much everybody in the crowd. <laughs> pretty much anybody in the past week that has treated him besides his, his coming in and riding on the donkey last Sunday, right? And that was great. They were trying to proclaim him as king. And now this is happening. This one criminal represents everyone who's mistreated him and is mocking him and says, save yourself and save us. Come on, do it. Let me see what you got. And the other one, out of surprise, like this surprises me the most about this story, is this next interaction. Is this other guy who is a criminal speaks up and he says this. He rebuked that guy And he said, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, 
For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes, first of all, that he's guilty, and this other guy is guilty, and he recognizes Jesus is really innocent, actually. Right? Not many around this cross recognize that in this moment, that Jesus was innocent. But a criminal on the cross did. Well, if that wasn't crazy enough, this criminal has the audacity to turn to Jesus, and he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Whatever ounce of belief this man had, it just came out. Jesus, today remember me in your kingdom. It's pretty, pretty audacious. But here's what's crazier. Jesus turns to him and says this. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the image of everything that's been going on. In the midst of mistreatment of who Jesus was, here's the first one forgiven from the cross. Do you see that? It's a criminal. It wasn't a soldier standing by. It wasn't a Jewish scribe or Pharisee. It wasn't even a disciple today. Maybe it was one of the worst human beings in Israel at the time. I don't know. He was a criminal for sure. Guilty. Self-proclaimed guilt. And he made it to paradise that day. This is the gospel, church. This is Jesus' forgiveness. This is his glory. It feels so upside down at times, but it feels so good at times, doesn't it? This one had the ability to accept the forgiveness of Jesus that was resting there. To believe, and the other did not. Daryl Box says this, The most perceptive people at the scene are a criminal, and then a centurion who later on sees it as well. So a Roman soldier sees it, and he says, This man must have been righteous. The criminal recognized his own guilt, he recognized Jesus' innocence, and he recognized the power of Jesus' forgiveness. So right before Daryl comes for communion, right, before, right as the band is coming, I think today we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to actually be honest with ourselves, take whatever's weighing on us, and I want you to hold it again. I want you to bring it to the forefront of your mind, whatever came to your heart that, in a few minutes ago. And be honest with ourselves and our sin and our crimes against God. Can you hold it there? And I think in the midst of this, what we need to do is hear the voice of Jesus calling out forgiveness. Of him saying, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Church, can you receive his forgiveness today? Can you sense it today? Ask him even right now. Begin to ask him, say, Father, forgive me for what I've done. Father, forgive me for this mistreatment. Call it by name. And hear this, Jesus asks, pleads, and dies for your forgiveness today. Father, we we do ask even in this moment, some of us need to open up our hands and just offer this weight to Jesus today. Say, God, we've, we've mistreated you. 
Would you take this burden from my chest? Would you take it from my shoulders? Because some of us are feeling it physically today. The weight of sin that's on us. The weight of this mistreatment that's on us. And so, Father, we offer it today with open hands. Some of us have clenched fists in this moment because we're holding on to it so tightly. We just need to release and let go and say, Father, I accept your forgiveness. We need to let his forgiveness rest on us this morning. This is what Good Friday is about. Jesus, you proclaimed, Father, forgive them. We accept your forgiveness today. Because we want to hear these words, Jesus. You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. This is the glory of Jesus' forgiveness. Church, this is what he offers. And the hammer fell on the wooden nail through his flesh into the tree. And he cried for them as they laughed at him. Didn't he live? Didn't he? And didn't he give? Didn't he? And didn't he die for you and me? Spilled his precious blood, sacrifice of love. We didn't take his life from him. He gave it willingly, fulfilled the prophecy. What's black is white. This wrong is right. Bugler, blow your horn. Now the curtain's torn. And the battle's done, I know. I know the victory's come. Drummer, drum your drum. He broke death's chains. The lamb is slain. Now, doesn't he live? I mean, my brother, doesn't he live today? And, and doesn't he give? My sweet sister, doesn't he give? But didn't he die for you and me? I'll say it again. Didn't he die for you and me? Thank you, Randy Matthews. The song from 1969. If you are here today, and you are, but you have heard that cry of forgiveness that Pastor Brandon has just opened the word to us about. And you have responded to that cry. Today, this minute, as we've been challenged, we're going to come to the communion table. And we're going to remember what he did for us, what he's doing for us, and what he's going to do for us. And if you have responded, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this table is for you. The broken bread, his broken body, that Hebrews 10 
talks to us about. That he broke his body, like the curtain is torn. And we can come into the Holy of Holies and have fellowship with the almighty, awesome God. And you've responded in the, the, the juice in Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This table is for you. So in a few minutes, the men are going to come and we're going to serve you, passing the trays down the aisle. And uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, feel free. Partake. Take. Wait until the whole body has been served and then we'll remember and rejoice together. We're even going to have a runner. Check out the nursery. Make sure our sound men. Anybody in the foyer. And then we'll come back. But listen. If you have not responded to the cry of forgiveness. Or you're not responding today. Right now. This moment. Minute by minute. This table is not for you. You have not washed your hands, as mom and dad used to tell us. Make sure your hands are washed before you come to the table. You're coming to the Lord's table. Wash your hearts. You've already been given one opportunity. We're going to give you one more in quiet prayer. But if you are not walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, let the trays go by. Please. And then ask yourself, well, whose footsteps am I following then? What we're going to do right now is claim one more verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're going to take a moment of quiet prayer as the music leads us in worship continues. Take that minute to, as Brandon has already led us, Father, forgive me. I hear your voice. And I want to respond. Then you've washed your hearts. But if not, come and talk to one of us afterwards. We want to talk with you. Let me invite you to go into silent prayer. Talk to Jesus about your relationship with him right now. Confess what you need to. This is your second chance. You've been given one already. This is your second chance. And then I'll come back with scripture. Let's pray. Gentlemen, if you would come.
the Gospel of Matthew. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Father, thank you. Thank you for the prayers that have gone up. Holy Spirit, you have taken them before the throne of grace. And we claim that promise from Romans, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body, signifying the, the, the curtain that was torn, the openness now to come in and have fellowship. We thank you, Jesus. We remember, and we are thankful. Once I pass out the trays and the men head down to the aisles, if you are allergic to wheat, feel free just to raise your hand and give me the joy of coming and serving you with a special tray. Ladies and gentlemen, has anyone been missed? We don't want to miss anyone.
Ladies and gentlemen, the broken body of Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice and partake together. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, thank you. We remember you shed your blood for each and every one of us, and we are thankful.
we missed? Anyone? As the body of Christ, we remember and we rejoice in shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us partake. Amen. Now there are going to be children around with little sand pails, or there's going to be colored pails around. If you don't have a little holder in the chair in front of you for your cup, you'll find one of those pails, and that's what those pails are for. Put the cup in. In the book of Matthew, it says after they had done this, they sang a hymn, then they went out to the garden. So Ryan, if you would lead us in our closing hymn, gentlemen, thank you.
your name. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we just pray this morning that uh, as we recognize the wonderful, the wonderful grace that you extended to us, Lord, and the forgiveness that you offer, uh, Lord, I pray that we'll go today with that assurance in our hearts, and that, God, that we'll go with a hope that we have, knowing that because you have died, we have died with you, but because you have risen, we also rise with you, and we will share in your glory and in your inheritance forever. So, Lord, I pray this morning that, God, that you'll bless each one that has come here this morning. And that, Father, you'll be with each one as they go. May your grace abound in their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you. And trust that you have a fantastic uh, Easter weekend celebration. And uh, because he is risen, he is alive. Amen. The stone is rolled away. Thank you, Lord, for your grace.